0: Good morning, hi guys. I think everyone probably knows, but I'm my name is Jacob Hantla. I'm one of the elders, and thank you guys so much for having me. And I'm going to be the speaker this morning. So um, basically, what, what I'm going to be going over is we're going to spend a long time today talking about guarding your heart, Proverbs 4:23. Okay. By the time that we're done, you'll have the verse memorized. And um, at least be convinced of the need and hopefully be equipped to uh, follow what D1 is all about, guarding your heart. So um, I know generally what, what we do is at the beginning of Wellspring, you go over all the disciplines. D1, D2, D3. Um, D1, guard your heart or shepherd your heart to the, through the Word of God to get the God of the Word. D2, shepherd your home. D three Shepherd the Ministry. But what I'm gonna do is we're gonna jump into the lesson and we're gonna see how all the the disciplines work together all right, by the time that we get through this. So at the top it says D two the heart. That is not right. It's D one the heart. Proverbs four twenty-three. Please, if there's anything that I'm saying that doesn't make any sense, or you're like, Jake, that I have a question, raise your hand. This is not necessarily lecture time, okay? Lots of questions and answers would be totally okay. Okay. So let let's start with a I just want to start in prayer. God, thank you for this day, for making another day that we don't deserve, that's evidence of your grace to us. Your mercies are new every morning. And God I I pray that as I talk today you would guard and guide my words that it would be your words that are that are spoken because we're we're opening your word on our lap and we we trust that it will be effective God I pray that you prepare the hearts and minds of those who would hear. God give me clarity of speech and God I, I pray that we would be more holy as individuals, and as as a church because of the time that we spent in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Charles Bridges, writing on Proverbs 4.23, which is the wellspring verse, guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Charles Bridges, writing on that verse, wrote, and that's the quote at the top of your page, if the citadel be taken... The whole town must surrender. If the heart be seized, the whole man, the affections, desires, motives, pursuits, all will be yielded up. The heart, the citadel of man, the seat of his dearest treasure. It is, a f- it is fearful to think of its many watchful and subtle assailants. Let it be closely garrisoned. So, normally, I, I know in Wellspring you do review D1, D2, D3. We're just going to be starting with D1, okay? The heart. And what we're going to see is all of your life flows out of your heart. And your heart doesn't just affect you, it, it does affect your home. In shepherding your home, Shepherding your heart must be preeminent in that. You you can't lead your home to a place where your heart isn't already. And you certainly can't lead your ministry with the church and your small groups among the other women to a place where you haven't already been with your heart. So let's take some time to unpack Proverbs 4.23 and some of its implications so that we can care well for our hearts, our homes, and our ministry. Okay, We're going to learn... From Solomon's inspired words, we're going to learn one incredibly simple, powerful, and absolutely necessary fact. And armed with that fact, we're going to understand the importance of the battle for our heart. We're going to be better equipped to pursue God, better equipped to fight sin, and better equipped to accomplish all the disciplines of wellspring. So look back at Proverbs 4.23. It's incredibly simple and profound. It's on the back of your binder. Or open your Bible, and it's written all over the, the note sheet as well. You're going to have it memorized in a few seconds, so you won't even have to look down. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. In Proverbs 4.23, there's a what, a why, and a how. Look down really fast. See if you can find the what or the command, the why the reason why you follow that command, and then the how. That's that's the outline for today. So it's, it's pretty simple: the what, the why, and the how. The what? There's a command that Solomon, the wise father, has for his his son. What is it? Keep your heart. It says in the ESV and New King James. Watch over your heart. It says in the NAS. Or guard your heart," it says in the Holman Christian Net and NIV. Um, let me let me just sort of sidetrack for a quick second before we jump back into this. Something that's so helpful when you're studying the Bible. This is just I don't I don't read Hebrew very well, and I'm not sure how many of you guys do either, or Greek. And the Bible was written in those languages, and sometimes English really closely mirrors them, and it's really easy. You read the English, and you just understand what it what it meant. But sometimes there's shades of difference, and we just don't have the right word. We don't have the right expression. And sometimes it can lead us astray. Like John 3:16, for God so loved the world. Sometimes you might think, for God loved the world so much. But that's not what it's, because that's what it sounds like. God so loved the world, but it's actually God loved the world in this way. Because so can mean different things in English. And, and you can, if you read in one English version all the time, you can sometimes English can lead you astray a little bit. So that's why I, I put a few different versions there for you. And it's a it's a discipline I'd recommend you guys use in your reading as well. I use it all the time because I don't read Hebrew and Greek very well. Um, when I, whenever I'm studying a verse, I actually will print out or a passage. I'll print out. Three or four different versions and look, compare them, circle all the places where they're different. Because if you get in good versions um, that, that try to be literal, if you start seeing major differences, that might clue you in oh, there's something going on here where English doesn't clearly express it. And plus, if you spend the time just really digging in, looking, comparing, observing where there's differences in English among the English versions, by the time you're done with that, you'll really know the passage. It's just a a discipline that I use that's really helpful. So I'm showing it to you there. Does that make sense? The the versions I'd recommend would be those that really try to be literal. So New American Standard, Holman Christian, English Standard. um, NET's good to throw in there as well. Um, And then New King James and NIV might be good. So so those that I referred to there, um, but especially the Holman Christian, ESV, and NAS would be the ones that I'd recommend you use. Anyway, so back to the what. Sorry for that little aside. What's the command? Guard your heart. And, and how is he supposed to do it? With all vigilance. Above all, all else. With all diligence. And why? Because from the heart flow the springs of life. It's the source of life. It's the wellspring of life. Okay. Proverbs 4.23 is super easy to understand. Um, you probably have it memorized already, just having gone through it a few times. And I recommend that you do commit it to memory. Guard your heart, the what, with all vigilance, the how, for from it flow the springs of life, the why. We're going to go backwards through the verse, starting with the why, then the how, then the what. So let's start with the why. The heart is the wellspring of life. Have you ever sinned and thought, where did that come from? Explode at your roommates, maybe your children, your husband, anger, entertaining sinful fantasies, laziness, lying gossip. Have you ever Seen that pop up in your life, and you're like, where did that come from? I didn't see that coming. Proverbs 423 is going to help us get at the root of these sins. And, help, and more than that, help us prepare, help prepare us for the great gospel solution to the heart of the problem. Okay, the inspired Solomon gives us a profound illustration for your life. We can think of everything that we do everything that we think, everything that we say, all of life is is water. All of this water has a common source, the wellspring, that's your heart. It might sound pretty simple, and it is, but this simple truth has profound consequences. It reveals the relationship between our heart and our actions. There is no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. Do you believe that? There is no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart, or put maybe a simpler way. There is no part of your life that your heart does not affect. Everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that that comes from your life flows out of your heart. The image of a city's vital water source. Pure water at the source can provide everyone in the city with pure water. But what happens if that source is contaminated? Is there any hope for pure water? This is a problem for us, for humans in particular, because the Bible describes our heart, our life source, in some pretty unflattering terms. I know you guys have already looked at this verse in Wellspring. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Okay, and consider that God saw the wickedness in man's heart and was moved to kill everybody but Noah and his family. Genesis 6.5 The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, that every intention of his heart was only evil continually. And actually, Eliana's lesson, my daughter's bedtime lesson a few nights ago, was this, that the flood didn't fix the problem. So when you read that, um, That's not just talking about those people back then. The flood didn't fix the problem. Mankind still has the same problem. That every intention of his heart was only evil continually. So if there's no part of your life that doesn't flow from this wellspring, this wellspring is deceitful, desperately sick and only evil continually what would you expect to come from the woman with an evil well source or evil life source a poisoned well will only produce poisoned water a wicked unrighteous heart produces only wicked unrighteous actions this is exactly what we find God's assessment of mankind's heart is so think of, of what Jeremiah seventeen and Genesis, Genesis six five. Take those verses, you combine them with Proverbs four twenty three, and what do you get? You get Romans three ten. If our hearts only wicked, and the heart's our life's wellspring, we'd see exactly what, what Paul says, quoting Psalm fourteen. None is righteous, no not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. No one naturally has a good heart, and no one does good before God. We're a bunch of wicked people with unrighteous lives because we had wicked hearts. But remember, God doesn't leave the Christian in this condition. Speaking of the new covenant with Israel, the Christian, Christian Gentiles get to enjoy as well. God says in Ezekiel 36.26, open your Bibles there, Ezekiel 36.26. I'll give you a second to find it. So far, what we covered would only be very bad news for humanity. But setting us up with the bad news gives us, prepares us to receive the good news, and explains the degree of miracle that God accomplished when He gave us a new heart. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six speaking of the new covenant with Israel, the Christian Gentiles get to enjoy as well. God says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I'm not sure if all you guys know, but I, I do anesthesia. I'm blessed to have a super sweet job where i just give anesthesia all day but I work at the heart hospital a lot and a lot of my patients have just had heart attacks it's, when you see this verse talking about a heart of stone I'm not sure if any of you guys are in the medical field but if you see someone in cardiogenic shock right after they've had a massive heart attack and you watch what their heart does with the blood going in the blood going out their heart literally is like a heart of stone all of a sudden there's no blood pressure your blood pressure is like 60 over 50 there's no pump there a heart stone doesn't move very well stone doesn't pump stone it's not how your heart's supposed to be for a lot of people the only solution in that situation is a heart transplant that's exactly what god did our our hearts were so beyond repair it's not like we just needed a little medication and we'd get by we had stone cold dead hearts and God took those out and gave us a fresh, new pumping heart. I've seen heart transplants. They're amazing. You have a heart that's ugly, sick, big, and boggy, not moving. You take this heart, fresh, young, put it in, and all of a sudden, everything changes. Kidneys that weren't working work. The patient wakes up with a, almost with a new mind, it seems, because you, you fixed the source, the source of all the blood. And that's exactly what God did, but to a greater degree than any physical heart transplant ever could. God promised Israel that He would someday give them a heart transplant. And knowing what we know from the verses we've gone over, that's our only hope. Right? You can't you can't fix our problem by by giving us fancy new pipes. You can't fix the problem by by changing behavior. If the source is rotten and all of our life comes from the source. You have to change the source and that's exactly what God did in the gospel when God saves us you Christian had an old dead heart of stone and God gave you a fresh new heart of flesh you were born again John 3 3 you're a new creation 2 Corinthians five seventeen, and God has given you a new heart We used to be slaves to sin because our heart was sinful. We used to be disobedient from the heart. But Romans 6.17 tells us what God has done. Flip there. Know this verse. Underline it. Love it. Thanks be to God. Romans 6.17 You who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed thanks be to God we've become obedient from the heart and having been set free from sin we've become slaves to righteousness John Flavel the 17th century Puritan said it well I think this quote is on your sheet Yeah. the heart of man is his worst part before salvation and it is his best part after it The heart of man is his worst part before salvation and his best part after it. Praise and thank God for that. So Proverbs 4.23 told us that the heart is the wellspring of our lives and that would be horrible news if it were not for this great news, the gospel, that when God saves us, he doesn't only forgive us our sins. Praise God for that. But when he saves us, he changes our heart. And let everything else that you learn today, everything you resolve to do today, sit under the shadow of that massive truth. Okay. Apart from this, when we say guard your heart, apart from this, we we are so prone to to run to Pharisaical self improvement, behavior modification. I need to do this. This this whole this should shatter that. Well, God God has already done what needs to be done. God has already done what we never could do. We're not working hard to change our hearts. That work's been done. So when we guard our hearts, we are guarding what God has already made pure, okay? So everything that you resolve to do today must be under the shadow of that gospel truth. And if God has not changed you from the heart, If you're not a Christian, but are just here today doing religious things, know for sure that your religious efforts are futile because they are not for God's glory and they flow from a wicked heart and are wicked in God's eyes. The problem comes from the heart. The solution must deal with the heart. Richard Baxter wisely advised his church, Till the spirit has regenerated the soul, all outward religion will be but a dead and pitiful thing. To make up a religion of doing or saying something that is good, while the heart is void of the spirit of Christ and sanctifying grace is the hypocrite's religion. pretend that you're holy through religious exercise and hard work while your evil heart remains unchanged. That's the religion of the Pharisees that God will be glorified to judge and whose practitioners will spend an eternity in hell. I think it's wise to do what Paul commanded in, in 2 Corinthians. At the end of that book he says, um, basically test yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Consider why are you here? Why do you come to church? Why do you do all of this? And he, he says that's not a scary thing to do because don't he says right after that, don't you know you'll pass the test if Jesus Christ is in you? So I, I trust that, that when you look at this, you're not going to say oh, all of my efforts have been nothing but pharisaical self-improvement, but Thanks be to God. He has changed my heart. May I never resort to any of that law-keeping, law-doing, stuff that, that, that would seek to do anything other than guard this, this fresh, new, pure heart that God's given me. Okay, so, so I'd say test yourselves. Because you'll pass the test if Jesus is in you. Think about your parenting, moms. Does your parenting recognize this reality in your kids? the greatest need that they have is a new heart not law keeping when you come to the word in the morning is the reason you're opening your bible is it because of the gospel is it under the shadow of the gospel because of what God's already done or are you trying to do what we can't do that only God can do and give us a new heart keep that in mind as we keep going Praise be to God, he has no interest in religion. Through the gospel, by Jesus' work at the cross, God gives us new hearts. Your heart, therefore, is precious. Not only because it is the source from which all your life flows, but because it was made new through the gospel. You were slave to sin because your heart was sinful and you're now a slave to righteousness because you've been changed from the heart. Imagine the city. Imagine with me a city with a poisoned well. All the water in the city comes from one place and that well is full of poison. That city could not flourish. But then imagine that one day a king came And he filled in that old poisonous well. And he dug another one. He filled it with pure water. And immediately the new city was full of life. Those who were made weak, anemic, and dying from the poison, they finally had a taste of that which they never knew before. Pure water. Those people would know the importance of the wellspring, right? They would know the effects of a tainted well. They had lived it. And they know the joys of purity. Those people would know the importance of a pure water source. Those people would never think, I wonder how much poison I could let back into that well and still be okay. No, those people would guard that water with all vigilance, because they would know that their very lives depended on it, and they would know the joy in life that comes with a new heart, with a new well in Christian, we are the, we are those people. So in light of this illustration, consider a quote from Charles virgin. In case you haven't noticed it, I'm giving you a list of some great authors that you can't ever spend too much time reading. They all died hundreds of years ago, but please pick up any of these guys and read them a lot. Consider this quote from Charles Spurgeon: "The poison of the soul is only sin, and this is like to poison in many respects." poison wherever it enters stays not there but it diffuses all over the body and it never stops till it is infected all such is the nature of sin enter where it will it creeps from one member of the body to another and from the body to the soul till it is infected the whole man and then from man to man till the whole family it doesn't stay there, but runs like wildfire from family to family till it has poisoned a whole town, and so a whole country, and a whole kingdom. Woeful experience proves this true. Did you see them there? The Wellspring Disciplines? The heart, the home, and the ministry and the effect that sin has on it? Sin doesn't, you can't compartmentalize sin into one part of your life without having it affect your whole life. Sin comes from your heart and sin affects your heart and will affect all that flows from it. Your life has an effect on your home. So what you let into your heart, what you guard your heart from and to, will necessarily have an effect on your home. And sin won't be content to only ruin your home that little sin that you thought you could keep compartmentalized over on the side I can handle it it will infect your heart and it will seek to ruin your home and then it will try to run rampant in our church that's why you, we always start with D1 we can't play leapfrog and say I just want to be a good mom I just want to have a good house and think, I can do it any other way than caring for my heart. Oh, I love Grace Bible Church. I, I want my small group to be. I, I, want, I want to be that woman who who serves my small group so well, who's caring for the, for the sick, caring for the needy, helping the other moms, preaching the gospel to others, discipling younger woman women. I want our younger women. I want the older women to be pouring into my heart, into my life. Don't play leapfrog over D1. You'll never get there. You'll bring that sin right in. It'll infect your home. And for the sake of our church, Jesus Christ died, gave his own blood for this. That's why Paul says to the Ephesian elders, watch your heart. Watch your life. Because this church is precious. God bought it with his own blood. Okay, and, and now we're starting to see the effects that letting sin into your own heart will have. The truth is that the heart is the wellspring of life. That truth leads very naturally to Solomon's command in 4.23. So, so we've gone over the why. If the heart's the wellspring of life, what should you do with it? Well, you should guard it. Sin is the poison. Purity is to be protected. So guard your heart. So now we're going to move on to the what. Guard your heart. Keep your heart. Um, Keep, watch, guard. It's an imperative. It's a command in these verses. It's not optional, and it is something that's active. We have a new heart, but the flesh within, Satan and the temptations without, are constantly assaulting our hearts. They're seeking to taint it with sin, so set up a guard for your heart. Okay, I'm not talking about guarding your heart like you might set up a chain link fence and install security cameras. Something you would that's passive. It just happens. You do it one time and you're sort of protected for a time. That's what you do for sort of important things. Okay, we don't just set up an alarm system and, and leave and not think about this. Um, we're talking about your heart. The wellspring of, your, of our lives. And like Spurgeon said, let the chief fortress surrender to the enemy, and occupation of the rest will be an easy task. Let the principal stronghold be possessed by evil, and the whole land will be overrun thereby. So open up your Bibles to Psalm 119.9, and we're going to see another illustration of, of how we should be guarding our hearts. While you're opening there, I'd like to tell you what the United States does to guard its most important assets. You guys know what NORAD is? It's the North American Aerospace Defense Command. Um, it's placed deep within the Cheyenne Mountains. It's actually surrounded on every side by at least two thousand feet of granite. So that's our, our entire. That's the the center structure for our, our defense system. If that goes down, the United States is paralyzed to defend itself. An enemy who wanted to conquer us would love to destroy the heart of our defense. So what do we do with it? 2,000 feet of granite minimum on every side. Enclosed by thick doors, blast valves. It has its own multi-million gallon water source. It has multitude of all kinds of sensors constantly assessing for any and every threat to its own security it could survive a near-direct hit with a nuclear bomb. That's the kind of guarding that God's word is exhorting us to. Okay, that's like the modern-day equivalent of walls and a constant presence of alert sentries that Solomon probably had in his mind. Cities would constantly have sentries up. They'd have walls surrounding them, and there'd be guards always on, always on watch because they, they knew that there were enemies that wanted in. So how do you guard your heart? David, in essence, asked this question in Psalm 119, verse 9. Read this with me, looking for how David guarded his heart. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. So how did David guard his heart? He guarded it with God's word. David guarded his heart by seeking God through his word. As you guard your heart, you will be protecting it from evil. You must be protecting your heart from evil by not wandering away from God's commands. You should be careful who and what you allow close we'll be careful to fight temptation to not think that your heart can tolerate just a little bit of evil. You're going to guard your heart from any poison that might taint the wellspring. But we see more importantly and more fundamental here in this verse to guard that guarding of your heart isn't just what you keep out but what you keep in. Seek God with all your heart. Do you see echoes in this verse of discipline one of Wellspring? What do we say? Look at look at discipline one in Wellspring on the back of your binder. Read it out loud because I don't have my binder with me. Chris, can you read it out loud for us? She perfectly shepherds her heart toward God through the Word of God and in particular the gospel. Okay. So when you think guard your heart. We're not only saying, guard it from evil. You must guard it from evil. But we, we shepherd our heart away from evil to the God of the Word. And we do that only through the Word of God. Okay, and that's you see, that's what David did. How does a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. What does he say? With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. So as we guard the wellspring of our heart, we must be shepherding our hearts to the word of God, to get the God of the word. In guarding your hearts, make sure that you are not shepherding it to pharisaical behavior-focused religion, but to God and the gospel. i say a good question to ask in your efforts at shepherding your heart, which you must, you must have efforts to shepherd your heart. If I was to ask you, what disciplines, what practices do you have to shepherd your heart? You, you should have the answers to that, that you've thought out, that you're diligent. Just like the United States actually has ways to, defect, to defend NORAD, you could, it could give a big list. Here's, how, here's what I'm doing to guard my most important assets. What are you doing to guard your most important asset that's so precious because God's made it new in the gospel. What are you doing? But even in asking that question, there's danger because we don't want to focus on the doing or in in focusing on the doing, how do we make sure that it's under the shadow of of the gospel? A a good question to ask is how would Mormon answering that question, how would they answer it differently? If your answer is no different than a Mormon's, there might be something wrong. Okay, think of the most religious person that you that you know who doesn't love Jesus, whose heart hasn't been changed by the gospel. Does your shepherding your heart look any different? It should, because we have this new heart. Okay, so that's that's a question that that I ask. Um, Elise Fitzpatrick asked that in her parenting book, Give Them Grace, and how do you how is your parenting different? That's one of the grits. How is it different than a Mormon? I'd say that's a helpful question. How is your shepherding of your heart different than just a, a religious person's? And and how must we do this? Finally we get to the last question in, in Proverbs four twenty three. How must we do this? Above all else, with all diligence, with all vigilance. So we because the heart is the wellspring of our life, we guard it. And how do we guard it? With all vigilance. So do you see the guarding of your heart? is just one task among many. You know and what do I have to do today? I gotta guard my heart. I gotta make breakfast. I gotta get the kids off to school and um, and clean. I don't know what you have to do. Do you? But do you see how that how that works? I gotta guard my heart. That that's my quiet time in the morning, and then I go off to these other things. That's not the way. Proverbs four twenty three in the Bible talk about guarding your heart. Should you have time in the Word to guard your heart? Absolutely. We've already seen that. How are you going to be keeping your heart to the Word of God if you're not spending time with Him in in the Word? But guarding your heart doesn't end there. And it's not, oh, I diligently study for 45 minutes in the morning, and then I diligently go about the rest of the day. No, as you do everything in life, you're diligently guarding your heart from sin to God. Guarding your heart is not just one task among many. And it's above all else. And when the Bible commands us to do something above all else, that's the way that uh, the Holman Christian, the NIV, translate that Hebrew phrase. When the Bible tells us to do something above all else, we should probably listen. It isn't a suggestion and it isn't something that would be good to do in addition to the other things. It must be the the most important task of your life done in all of life and done with more energy than anything else you do in life. Okay, like the Secret Service vigilantly protects the President. Like the United States almost over the top protects NORAD and like a city would protect its water supply we must guard our hearts vigilantly diligently above all else okay so as as we think about the need to diligently guard our hearts there's something sobering that I'd like to, us to consider consider the one who wrote the book of proverbs solomon he he wrote this command Surely he knew the fact that if a life is to be pure and holy unto God, the source, the heart, had to be pure as well. Solomon wrote these words. He knew them and was convinced of them better than you or I probably ever will be. But being convinced of the necessity and the goodness of heart shepherding is not sufficient. Agreeing with Solomon... And agreeing with this verse does not automatically mean that you're guarding your heart. You could be nodding. You could be taking notes. I, I could be up here teaching this, saying, "Oh, I can, I want to shepherd my heart. This is really, really important stuff." But that doesn't mean the job's done. It doesn't mean you have guarded your heart. Open your Bibles to First Kings 11. And I'm not going to say Scott always says to those white pages in the back that you haven't opened to. I know they're not white pages because you guys are all reading, reading through the Bible in a year, right? And so, um, read First Kings eleven one through four with me. Remember, this is talking about the guy who wrote Proverbs four twenty three. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, You shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you. Why? For they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. It said in in the law that the kings were supposed to write a copy of the law for themselves. Solomon knew this verse. Solomon knew not to marry many women or gather together many horses. All the things that the law said, when you get a king, make sure he doesn't do these things because his heart will be turned away. Solomon let little compromise in little sin here, little sin there. But he was the wisest man who ever lived, right? So he could handle it. Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. And his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his father David had been and consider the horrible effects on Solomon's heart, home and ministry due to a series of compromises in the area of heart shepherding Solomon's heart was led astray he wasn't wholly devoted to the Lord look at the effect on his home What did his his kids do? Divide the kingdom. Particularly divide them after other gods. What was his God-ordained, Holy Spirit-anointed ministry? Uh, Watch over Israel. How did little compromises in his heart affect his ministry? Well, within a generation, the kingdom was divided. King after king after king. If you've read First Kings, Second Kings, First Samuel, Second Samuel, you know what happened. Um, the nation, through, started with some compromises Solomon could handle, right? Pretty soon, the whole nation, king after king, person after person, was turned away after other gods. <laughs> the nation ended up in exile in a foreign land, temple burned down. All started with a man who knew he should shepherd his heart, he should guard his heart. Letting a little compromise in. It is not enough to just know that you must do this. We must do this above all else, vigilantly, diligently, and do it from a new heart that has been given to us in the gospel. God's given you a new heart. He's given you the Holy Spirit. And he commands you and enables you to guard your heart. We must do this above all else. No days off, no higher priorities. This is a lifelong faithful process. So the question I have for you is, how well have you been guarding your heart? Just like a city might monitor its water supply for evidence of poison, poison so too we should evaluate what is flowing from our wellspring to see how the source is. This is why wellspring, you get homework that helps you evaluate your heart. Maybe you've been guarding your heart very well. Praise God, it was his heart, the new heart that he put in. And maybe maybe you haven't. But today's the day, so hopefully after this you know that guarding your heart is your most important priority. So for your homework this week, you'll be reading some questions to evaluate the guarding of your heart. You should have a homework sheet with you. And as you consider each one of these, please recognize that what you are seeing is evidence of what is in your heart. And we are considering our hearts in the shadow of the cross where Jesus died to give us new hearts and reconcile us to him. C.J. Mahaney says, We study our hearts in the shadow of the cross as a means of protecting our hearts from the daily presence and opposition of sins. If you don't watch, you'll inevitably weaken. John Owen says, be killing sin, or it will be killing you. I will read a few of the questions from the homework now. As you look at your heart and what flows from it, do you sense a presence or absence of affections, of love for God? How do your prayers reflect the vigilance with which you guard your heart? What lures your heart away from God? Consider what you did in your free time last week. What was the effect that this had on your heart? Does your daily routine reflect that you're guarding your heart above all else? What about your entertainment choices and your use of free time? Does this reflect that you're guarding your heart above all else? So in light of the new heart that God's given you, enabled by the Spirit, through the Gospel, Consider what kinds of changes you might need to make in your life, in your patterns, in your disciplines, so that you have a clear answer to say, how above all else are you guarding your heart? And what above all else are you guarding your heart to? I hope the answer is from sin to God, through the gospel. Apart from the grace of God, we're helpless to work at the heart level. But by God's grace, we can diligently shepherd our heart to God, away from sin. What we must not do when we see sin is to play leapfrog over the heart. Guarding your heart is not behavior modification. What did Jesus say to the scribes and Pharisees? He said, you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Water flowing from a poison-filled well through nicely polished pipes into a fancy cup is still poisonous. So don't clean the pipes. When you see sin in your life, don't clean the pipes. Guard the wellspring. I'm going to finish with a quote from Paul Tripp. He writes, If my heart is the source of my sin problem, then lasting change must always travel through the pathway of my heart. It is not enough to alter my behavior or to change my circumstances. Christ transforms people by radically changing their hearts. If the heart doesn't change, the person's word and behavior may change temporarily because of an external pressure or incentive, like the pain of discipline. But when the pressure or incentive is removed... The changes will disappear. Guarding your heart by aiming at God, by getting God through his word is not that kind of change that will disappear. It's the kind of change that guards the source that God's made new through the gospel. Okay, so study our hearts, monitor the condition of your heart, work by God's grace to employ the spiritual disciplines, to keep your heart with all vigilance. Okay? And ultimately you must look outward and upward surveying the wondrous cross and the Savior who died there for us. Remember, the Father's wrath against sin has been satisfied. Never lose sight of Calvary. And The spiritual disciplines help us to daily focus our gaze on the Savior, out of love for the Savior, and out of protection of our most valuable treasure given to us by that Savior. Pray with me, and then we'll go to our small groups. God, thank you for doing what we never could do, never would have wanted to do. And we hated you from those hearts. We never would have wanted to change those hearts because we were content in our wickedness. but you reached in and you saved us forgave us our sins and our eternity is secure nothing that we do has any merit before you to improve our standing that's secure and God nothing that we do can change our heart you've already done that God but I do pray that in light of what you have done for us we would guard this most precious treasure a new pure heart given to us by the gospel. God, I pray that as a result of this morning, our lives, our homes, and our church would be more holy, more in love with you. In Jesus' name we pray.